welcome to Latitudes In Session podcast. Today, I'm joined by Josh Luck, Chris Lepper, and Corey Godar. A few weeks ago, we traveled to Kentucky and we had a scouting trip. We spent a whole weekend down there and we're just going to cover that trip today. Uh, there's going to be an in session that gets posted over on YouTube after this. So anything you guys hear here, you'll be able to see on the YouTube as well. And it should be very detailed, full of example maps and and all sorts of other good stuff. So, guys, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Good to be here. Yep, Chris, thanks for hosting tonight, having a good dinner. We had some smoked ribs, and we had awesome dessert, ice cream, and You're welcome. nine yards. That was, that was a solid meal. Yep. Jake might have asked Chris to be his second wife. <laughs> it it might have slipped out. <laughs> it's possible. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> we'll see how this podcast does, and then go from there. Yeah, I like it. Perfect. Well, so let's get right into it. We uh, we drove down to Kentucky. You invited us down there to a piece that ended up being awesome. Yeah. And uh, we did a bunch of e-scouting before we went down there. We decided that we were going to target mainly thermal hubs. Like that was kind of the foundation of what that of what we wanted to do. So we marked a bunch of them out on a map, and we just decided to put in big long mileage days and put boots on the ground and try to cover as many of them as possible and just dissect them and get some cameras out. We got cameras out already. So let's jump right into it. Let's jump into day one. Uh, day one, woke up early, got down there before <laughs> before daybreak, mm-hmm. and we worked up onto a ridge right off the bat and we split up. So we decided that there was... We really weren't sure of the specific elevations that we needed to be on at that point in time. We weren't sure of where they were going to be bedded, weren't sure of where the travel routes were, and decided to just split up and cover a bunch of different elevations. So Corey and I went low. We kind of uh, we hit a dead end down there. It was thick and it looked good, but there ended up being a lot of hiker trails in some of those bottoms, just kind of randomly too. And you guys stayed up higher, and I remember yelling at me that you found some good sign. Yeah. So we came to that first scrape. How did you guys? How did you find that scrape, and what were your initial thoughts? Man. We rounded the, uh, I guess you would call it like the point, the corner there. And uh, I remember finding that, that big white oak. And um, we came around there and found that beech tree with that scrape. And it wasn't too far. What were we from the bed? We found probably 80, 100, something like that, roughly. I'd say sub 150 yards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, there's my turkey yardage judging there by the way that's how i shoot birds at like 100 yards so um yeah sub 150 for sure um but i i remember specifically finding that big white oak there and then rounding the corner and that beech tree had a heck of a scrape underneath it and then we called you up and then of course we get down there find the bed right away and uh, basically went into your strategy on how you would set up on that deer and how basically I was like taking candy from a baby almost the way you could set up on that deer. <laughs> yeah. So when we got to that scrape, there was a couple things that I saw right off the bat. Um, you know, it wasn't the hub, right? Because the hub would have been down in that bottom right. and it actually fills up with water quite a bit. It's a big reservoir. So... Uh, I don't, I don't know necessarily how they use that hub, but normally when I find a scrape like that, like that's still up on the ridge, I think, okay, this is a, a more of like a scrape line scrape that's coming to and from bedding. 
and it's leading down into the hub scrape. So mm-hmm. being up on the ridge for a starting point was a it was a really interesting place to start because we didn't know what we were going to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we found that scrape and we determined before we even traveled towards the bed that everything looked right on the map. It set up right for leeward bedding. It was kind of in like a nook or like a little cove, if you will. Yes. And it just, it felt like it was going to be Bucky back there. So without even going back in there, we just dropped a camera. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that we had, I, I had... 20 cameras, you had 20 cameras. Every so. wild view ever made was on that trip. Yeah, you can't even find them anymore because of <laughs> us. So but so we decided to put that camera up right away. And then we were like, okay, let's follow this sign back. And as we got closer and closer to that bed, the sign definitely heated up. Yes. Uh, Josh was up above us on mm-hmm. the next flat and we were down below. And what did you see for sign up top? So when we... When we found that first scrape and then kept on going around and then I kind of went up high and you guys went low. Um, as we started getting closer to where we suspected the bed might be, I did find more feed sign on, on the leeward side there. Um, a couple other smaller scrapes and the ground was kind of all torn up just from, from just from feed sign. So as we kept getting closer and closer back uh, into the hub and closer to where we thought the bed was, there was more sign. So, what were they feeding on up there on that flat? Um, there was a mix of oats, oaks, and then uh, uh, beech nuts. Uh, there was some uh, quite a few beech trees in the area we were in, and uh, we had talked about that later in the trip, um, where we thought they might have been eating on beech nuts. Uh, but there was oaks scattered, uh, different red red oaks. wasn't any chestnut oaks there, uh, but definitely some reds that were in there. Yep. And so, as far as like on that upper flat that you were on, what did the cover look like as compared to down below? Because down below, we had tons of cover and that's kind of why we decided to, you know, the the three of us went on that route just because of all the cover. Mm -hmm. And it was really good that you went up top to verify the absence of cover, whether there was a lot. So, what'd you see up there? Yeah. So, there was, it was a lot more open compared to where you guys were. Um, There was, there was definitely sign there, but not cover. So, wasn't really expecting to see a bed there, which is what we confirmed, right? You guys stayed low and kind of went on down around and you guys ended up finding a bed. And I, I did not where I was because the cover wasn't there. It got a lot more open. Yep. So as far as mature buck travel, for me personally, I think that that lower bench is a better area for a, a big mature deer to travel. I just feel like he's going to be more comfortable. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, I would agree. It, I mean... If you're just going in there for the first time, it, it kind of looked like, I mean, where where you found the bed and then where we found that scrape on down, he could have worked out of the bed a little bit and then kind of hit on some of that area to to feed and then worked back down into the cover and on around. That's what it kind of looked like. Or it could have been does filtering through there as well. Yeah. And to paint the picture for everybody. So we jumped up in this system that had a bunch of really long ridges that went from west to east. And there was a bunch of sub ridges that jutted out to the north and to the south. We were really focused on that northern side just for a southerly based wind. Mm-hmm. So we were really trying to tack that early season wind-based bedding, like assuming that we're going to have either a southerly based wind or a westerly based wind. So we get to the first point of the first sub ridge and we're about to head into the, the first draw on that mountainside. And that's where that first scrape was. So we were actually, when we found the scrape, we're ha- now we're traveling south towards where we assume there's bedding, which would be on that north facing bowl, if you will, in that in that hub. And it's not the major hub; it's the micro hub that we've talked about before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's another key factor here. So 
we headed into that micro hub and we we get into it. So now we're in that north facing hub. And right away, Chris, we ended up finding that bed on that flat. <laughs> what do you think about that bed from a visual standpoint and from what the buck was trying to accomplish by laying there? Well, I'm going to kind of throw another little thing in there. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this is also close to where we found the little like two-year-old bed as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was very telling, which we know this, but when you see it, like every time when you see it, it just blows your mind. The way that bigger deer is facing clearly has the wind to his back, clearly has a side advantage. Uh, a few times we found beds where they were tucked under, you know, a tree or, you know, had their back to something pretty big and um, that, that two-year-old bed, we couldn't figure out what the heck he was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. We were like, did you just lay down because or what? So, um, it was very interesting to just see the, the, the tactfulness that, that that deer displayed where he, he had a thought process to what he was trying to do. And that was basically, like I said, put the wind at his back, have a good side advantage and stay alive. Yeah, and it was it was really the only spot that had a ton of cover. Yeah. Like, it was the first time that we really got into Greenbrier. Mm-hmm. There was some fallen trees right there, and so there was just a lot of undergrowth in general. So, you and I walk up to that bed, and upon initial examination of that bed, there wasn't any hair on top of the leaves. And did that deter you at first? At first, kind of. I, I had been slowly diving into that part. A little bit because I'd found a few beds like that. But then, as we're probably about to say, um, digging through the leaves, finding it on the bottom, I'm like, man, what is what is going on? And then when you explained everything, you know, your early season bed has that hair way down in there. Everything gets shuffled and kind of mixed down underneath the leaves, um, you know, as the, the, the new leaf uh, fall happens in the fall. Um, so yeah, we found hair way under the leaves, which kind of verified, um, you know, that it was an early season bed, which we were tickled pink with that. 100%. And to, to paint the picture on this bed, if you have a bed that has a ton of hair in it, it's, it's at least in my opinion, it's kind of hard to distinguish what time of year that deer sees in that bed? It could be all year long. You know, it, say it's a southerly based wind and there's not a ton of snow in that area, like uh, Kentucky, for instance. Right. He could lay in that bed all year round with any southerly based wind and it could just be hammered. There could be hair all over the place. But for me, what gets me really excited <laughs> is when I find a bed that doesn't have a ton of hair in it, but you can isolate what time of year he's there based on where the hair's at. So the hair being on top of the leaves says, okay, he's been here since the leaves have fallen. So it could be a late season bed, it could be a rut bed, or he could use it all year all year round. But when you find a bed that's definitely a bed and there's no hair on top of the leaves, you pull that first layer away. Now you can say, okay, this deer was bedded here more before the leaves fell. When was that? That was early season in Kentucky when the mm-hmm. white oaks were there, which is what Josh was seeing up top. Yeah. And so immediately it's like, okay, we have a scrape line from a buck. We have a bed that isn't used all year round, but used on a very circumstantial basis when this area, when whatever food source he wants is hot in this area. 
So now we can say, okay, we don't have any uh, historical camera data of this spot, but we can say that he was probably here in this time frame. We could be wrong, but I think that it's worth taking that shot. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that. So like you brought up, the two-year-old bed. So we found that bed and we looked at it and it was this area is kind of like a, it's rolling hills a little bit. It's, it's hard to explain. To some. It is, yeah. <laughs> so it's more rolling hills than like these really steep hills. So we were looking at that bed and then we started looking on the hillside across and said, you know what? That actually sets up a little bit better for a south-based wind. And if there's a flat spot, it could be a really good bedding area. It's kind of thick too. So we worked up and down that, that steep drainage and we get over there. And what was really odd about that was that two-year-old bed was set up so randomly. Remember, <laughs> I asked you a couple of questions like, what do you, how do you feel about this bed? And the reason I did that is because I, I was looking at it and I was like, why is he laying backwards of the predominant wind of like a prevailing south or west wind? Like he's based on the shape of the bed, he's laying backwards, but it's also on a slope. It wasn't in a flat spot. Yeah. yeah. So like it's extremely uncomfortable, you would think. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense. So uh, we decided that that was not the mature buck's bed. Like he's going to take the one that has a little bit more cover. He's going to take the one that's tucked in there a little bit better and not as exposed. Yeah. So the thing I really liked about that area was there was only a couple beds too. It wasn't like this big giant bedding area that you see in some areas. There was only a couple beds there. So it was very easy to target it and you really didn't have to worry about satellite bedding on your approach. So we have the bed, we have the, the scrape line leading out to some food. What do you feel about setting up on that scrape for the opener? I think it'd be money. Uh, I personally would access low, of course, and and do what we talked about. Yeah. Pop right up and go up the backside of the tree and probably not be very high and shoot him probably within five steps of the scrape or so, uh, from what I can remember. Um, it was a pretty... That was one of the best setups we found, and it was right out of the gate, in my opinion, as far as access. Um, yeah. It seemed like you could get in and out mm-hmm. multiple times and really probably not have him cross your scent trail at all, really. Yeah. <clears throat> that was so that was definitely kind of a different setup than some of the other places. Um there might have been one similar spot that we found see the later that day or the night that was the next day, because Corey had to leave. Um, that might've been somewhat similar, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, but I just thought it was interesting cause it wasn't like your hub scrape where you can like set up on the bottom on a certain wind that was right. That, that scrape was up kind of on that point around the bend. So to me, it, it, you had really good access. Cause like Chris said, you could, you could come from the bottom and that bottom was super thick. So in the early season, right. I mean, even late season, there was there still seemed to be quite a bit of cover. So early season, there was going to be a bunch. Now, one thing you got to worry about is being quiet, but you could sneak up up that ridge and hop up in a tree, and where that flat is, right, you could be, you know, five, ten yards from that scrape, and he's he's right there. And he's coming from the hub, and he's coming out towards you, right, and help. I mean, as the hunter, I feel like you have a hell of an advantage, you know, at that spot. Yeah, I agree. And I I struggled with access there a little bit. And it was mainly because of how steep the ridge was if you were accessing from the bottom. So we kind of had a conversation about that at the scrape. Like, do we do we access from the top? Do we access from the bottom? And 
I've kind of been torn back and forth. I've got a couple notes in my phone that say if it's a rainy week or a rainy day, don't access from the bottom. But if it isn't, then you're good to go on the bottom just because of like the muddy slope. So that's, that was, that's a good dude, point. Yeah. I was just really worried about slipping back down or like making a ton of noise because yeah. those that was like the one area that was really, really steep right there. So mm-hmm. that's one good thing too could be if that reservoir does fill up, you could actually kayak back that far. I noticed that on our most recent trip that there was water way back into there. I don't know exactly how far, but it looked like it might have been to that sub point. What, I mean, that kind of makes sense going as to why that scrape might have been there and why he was coming out that way instead of like going through the bottom. Yeah. I mean, Jake, one thing I think from the perspective of somebody who's trying to tackle hub hunting for the first time, like maybe we could take a step back and just paint the picture uh, from like the 10,000 foot view of like, how did you get into this hub? How did you pick this out on the map um, and why? And then what type of notes are you taking along the way? And especially in a day that you know, you're going to be going through like four to five hubs, six hubs in a day. And how do you know how much time to spend on them, et cetera? That's a great question. So from a 10,000 foot view, I think that we all decided together as a team that we wanted to approach this hunt and this scouting trip based off of early season. Yes. We want to be down there for the opener. And historically, the wind is going to be a south or a west wind. So we're looking at all these ridge systems. We're trying to find these big hubs as like focal points. And then we were trying to just figure out which, which ridges were going to be hot and dissect them off of the main focal point. And this first ridge was a little bit different because the hub was further back. So we actually had to start out at a higher elevation than normal. Normally, what I like to do is I like to start low and get directly into the hub. And if there's sign and there's a scrape and there's some good trails coming off the ridges, I need to scout it more. And if not, we can get the heck out of there. But with this one, we kind of just had to take like the leap of faith, if you will, dive into it and see if it was going to be an area that was worth attacking or not. You know, it was yeah. like it could have been a it could have been a completely wasted day because we started up high. We could have scaled that elevation for an, you know, twelve hours, never found any sign. Where if we would have went directly in the bottom, if it was right there, we could have said, okay, this is good or bad immediately. So we lucked out. I mean, mm-hmm. it ended up being a really good spot. But uh, but yeah, from a high level, that's that's kind of what we were after. And as far as the note taking goes, I carry my phone with me pretty much the entire time I'm in the woods. And I mean, you've looked at my my maps before they're absolutely loaded with pins i actually shut down like i i've reached the maximum allowable <laughs> pins multiple times and it it just it's it's kind of just like it's probably a little bit overboard but i really like having every scenario in my head that could play out logged so i can go back and look at those like the night before a hunt and say okay i want to dive into this ridge i know i'm going to have a south wind tomorrow what is what's my wind mapping tell me at all these different points. Well, I can just go to this point, click on it, and look at my notes and say, okay, wind mapping here on a southwest wind said I was good. But if I push to this point on a southwest, my wind actually swirls if it's over 15 miles an hour and it creates a vacuum effect and it pulls all my scent back up in the draw and blows the deer out. So if I'm going to target this specific bed, I can't go in here unless it's less than five to eight mile an hour wind and it has to be more of a south wind because if I get too much crosswind in this drainage, it creates the same swirling effect, pulls my wind up or pulls my scent up with the thermals, and then I have a mess. So I'm trying to just, you know, mark down every bed that I find. And whether it's a satellite bed or the dominant bed, 
That way, when I'm actually accessing that spot on hunt day, I know how to navigate those beds without bumping a bunch of deer. And sometimes I'll even say, hey, I know a deer is probably bedded here. And it's it could even be like, like say I'm in a system where there's three good buck beds and he shifts based on the wind. You say, well, I have to access from this direction. I know that he beds there on a on a west wind, but today I've got an east wind and I'm hunting the backside of that hub. And so I'm going to go right through his bed that he would be in on a west wind and I'm just going to assume he's not there. I'm going to hunt it like he's not there. <laughs> and I could mess up and blow it out, but that's how I killed my my big one two years ago was I walked directly in that buck's bed and bumped a, a satellite buck out of that bed the day I killed that deer and he was on the other side of the hub. Wow. So it just, but, but having Jeez. those notes really helps out because if you didn't have those notes and you bust that deer down to the bottom, you might think your day's over with. So when you're wind mapping these places, how many times are like, okay, Kentucky, how are you going to do that? Or, so, or are you going off of previous knowledge. So it's really hard to do on an out-of-state hunt for me because we only get to spend so much time out there sure. and it's whatever the wind is that day and the conditions. Like we went out and scouted with no leaves on. We scouted on a, the first day was an overcast day. Like there's a bunch of different factors that play yeah. into that. But in my home state, what I can say is anytime that I'm in there in a specific system, at least a couple times a year, I like to go in there in the off season and I try to catch it on different wind days. So like today's a sunny day with a south awesome. Tomorrow is a cloudy day with a Southwest. Let's go in there and have the same approach and see what's different and see how that deer might set up a little bit different or how my plan of attack would have to adjust a little bit. So it's just that constant evolving, keeping kind of just keeping your feet moving with this whole thing. Sure. Like just don't settle. And I think that that's the, the way that everybody's going to have the most success. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've noticed it, it's really like a thing that stood out to me with your strategy is your note taking is not necessarily really about where to hunt always is it's that's half the battle and the other half of the battle is your access and i mean we've kind of all i think learned at this point that if you can't access a spot you might as well not even be hunting it yep because you're going to blow it out so taking those notes on those satellite buck beds on those scrapes the scrape lines and, and determining ahead of time like what's my best plan of action to even get back here to hunt this buck because if you're not thinking about that odds are you're just going to go in there and and waste a little bit of your time. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> those bucks back there give themselves such such an advantage. You kind of have to target them like you're targeting them, Jake. Like you you have to be very detail-oriented and know where everything is in order to sneak back where you need to get to in order to kill that buck. Because if, if, if you're not detail-oriented like that, your chances of killing that buck are slim to none in some cases. Yeah. And I think the, in the hills specifically, I think access is just such a big thing because coming down over a ridge when you're within even like two or 300 yards from a buck is just, it's tough to do. Yes. So like I find myself getting in these drainages and just trying to navigate the best I can down low the majority of the time, but it's, it's definitely difficult. I think that the, the thing that sets the majority of people apart from killing their target buck every year, very early and efficiently really is access. I think oh, that, dude. and if, but when you get to the point where you can trust your access, because I know people that have the access plan good, but they get in there on kill day and they just don't trust the fact that they can get away with what they've already said they could, that they kind of like, they back out on their plan and then they just don't have the success. They're too far off or they shift it and they come up over a different ridge or do something different and they get blown out. So really like learning all this and diving into it. But at the end of the day, on kill day, you need to go in there and you really need to trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Execute a plan. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. I think a, a good way to just for a, a self-realization as to how detailed you need to be um, and, and plan your access and, and execute is just just on your scouting trips, pay attention to how many deer you see. You know, over the past few years, like uh, multiple scouting trips by myself, and I'm just like, I feel like I'm being quiet, sneaking around, and I see no deer. And like, how many times we've we been out scouting, and, sure, and haven't seen a single deer, and you're like, well, where in the world are these deer? And like, I'm not seeing anything. Well, it's because right, your access is. I mean, they they caught you way ahead of time, and they they already went up and over a ridge before you even saw them or knew they were there. So. Yep. That's why you got to have to be meticulous about what you're doing. Yeah. That and the amount of deer can, can control your access as, mm-hmm. to, like, as well. You know, if, you, oh, if yeah. you're in an area where there's 20 does and <laughs> five satellite bucks and the mature buck is all the way back in the drainage, how are you going to press close to that deer? So me personally, I like to find the low density areas and it just so happens that a lot of times they typically have bigger deer too. So it kind of works out, but like, you know, if, if I can go into a hub and say, okay, there's only one or two deer in here, it's a lot easier to go kill that deer, in my opinion, than in a high density area. How do you guys feel about I, that? I would definitely agree. Um, the one deer I plan on hunting in Kentucky this year that has been my number one target for the past couple of years, just on some trail cam data that I've gotten, I feel like, especially later in the year, because the piece I'm hunting is is pressured quite a bit. What I've noticed on camera towards the end of the season is I've seen this buck on camera with does and they're just like hanging out. At first I thought it was a doe came in estrusly, like a young doe came in estrus. And I, I can specifically recall one video. I have a doe coming through and that buck following her and it's in the daytime. It's right after season. And I'm like, Oh wow, that doe came in really late. But right after three mature does were walking in line behind them. I was like, Wow. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I wonder if that buck is using all those does as an extra set of eyes, ears, noses to keep himself safe. And he's using them to basically just warn like as alarm systems. Yeah. Right. Those does bust out and he knows there's danger and he can sneak out the backside before you know he's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll agree with you as well. It seems like when you get to the low deer density areas. I don't know why, but the deer just seem to get bigger. And in places where literally everyone tells you, oh, the deer don't get big here. They're, they just have oaks. And I just look at them. <laughs> what do you mean they just have oaks? That's what they eat. <laughs> so, um, and I can only imagine, you know, I've not been successful in the low deer density areas. I'm you know, closer to higher deer density areas, uh, where I hunt a lot, but, uh, accessing a low deer density area is a lot easier Yeah, oftentimes than some of the places where you have, like you said, you know, hunting in like an urban unit or something here in Ohio where there could be 40 does and, you know, a square mile or so. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Yep. I completely agree. So circling back to the ridge that we were on, we finished up scouting that first bed. We we saw the second bed. We decided to hop up on that ridge spine and then just basically run all the way across to the next set of sub ridges and the beginning of the actual hub that we wanted to be in. Now, this next hub was same thing. It was a ridge that ran east-west. The sub ridge, both the sub ridges on each side of it jutted out to the north. This hub was very deep. 
and it was almost impossible to access. Yeah. So is this where we stopped for lunch? That it is where we stopped yeah, okay. for lunch. So we got up over top of the ridge. There was chestnut oaks on top. <laughs> And they were they were actually fed on pretty good. There was yeah. quite a few of them up there, and I could tell like there's deer here for sure. sure. There's definitely definitely deer in the area. There was some good rut sign up there above a lot of the hogs backs on the ridges. There was some pretty good rubs, and there was actually a decent set of tracks up there if you remember. So right away we're thinking, okay, there's there's some good bucks in here for sure. Like the signs being laid down. So we followed down that next sub ridge, and it was the one that had all the pines on it. And we got to the point of it and immediately we started finding beds. We started finding a bunch of doe beds, a bunch of satellite bedding, possibly mature bed kind of right off the point of that ridge. Even though it didn't seem like it was in the most ideal location, we kind of thought that the bedding would be further back into that hub system. Seemed like the majority of the bedding was actually out in that point, didn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. This is where I lost my breath. <laughs> this is the beginning of, yeah. The- I'm, I'm like trying to remember this spot and I can't remember for the life of me. And then all of a sudden I said, that's why you can't remember because you were trying to catch up mm-hmm. and catch your breath. Yep. We got there. Jake was asking me questions about the bed, what I thought of it. And then you came up trying to catch your breath and jake's like chris what do you think and you're just <laughs> uh, can i breathe I, I need to breathe yep that is that is that spot so so the bedding was out on the point and that's actually it's kind of funny because like that's that's what you hear more of when you think of hill country or like you watch like scouting videos in hill country or anything is like mm-hmm. the point bedding mm-hmm. and i find a lot of that but i also find a lot of the bedding in the nooks further back so we all kind of like we looked at that bedding and there was some sign there and stuff, but we almost overlooked that bedding, if you ask me. Like I kind of was like, hey, there's beds here, but we're not going to spend a ton of time in this on this point because the better bedding is going to be back in the hub, right? Like we almost got right. a little bit cocky here. Yeah. And uh, we started working back in the hub and I think the sign dried up. Like it, it got worse, at least in my opinion. And then we got back against the property line and there was some hunter sign. Yes. You remember that? Yep. It, it wasn't actually a tree stand, but you could see like the stick marks or the climber marks in the tree Yep. on the backside of that, what should have been a really good bedding area and it didn't have any beds. Light bulb went off immediately for me and I'm, I'm sure it did for you guys yeah. as well. Like, okay, there's no sign back here and beds back here because it's getting targeted from the private land. Somebody's mm-hmm. accessing from the private and just dropping right down here. So like, the the thing to take away from that for me is deeper isn't always better, especially when it butts up to private because that guy could have a four-wheeler trail right to the property line, just get off his four-wheeler and walk 50 yards, 100 yards yeah, and be on the private that you just walked two and a half miles to get back to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's super depressing when you think of it that way, but it's literally what we found. It It's... It was super frustrating because I felt like we were kind of getting into a groove. And like you said, we kind of got a little cocky. Yeah. And then we get back in here, you know, chests all puffed out like, oh, where's the scrape? Where's this? Where's the bed? It's not here. Yeah. Yeah. That's because he's here. <laughs> Shows so. that, uh, that importance of boots on the ground, man. It can look perfect on a map, but until you get back there and you actually walk around, this is stuff you're never going to see. Exactly. Well, could, you, could you imagine e-scouting that and then you walk all the way back there and there's no sign and then you got scratch marks on a tree from like a climber of sticks and you're like, 
I just spent hours getting back here. Yeah. And now I got to come up with a plan B. And that's what's been so crazy, you know, learning from Jake and, and other people and then putting boots on the ground is the funnest and most depressing thing at the same time. Going out to like Missouri and stuff, everything sets up different. And and even as we're talking about, we're starting to kind of get into a groove and figure things out. And then all of a sudden, boom, roadblock. You know, you got to adapt, basically. Things things just changed. So, such is the life of a, a public land <laughs> mobile hunter. <laughs> Yeah, and all we can do in those situations is exactly what we did. We sat down, we regrouped, we evolved, we kept our feet moving, and within the next half hour, we found, in my opinion, the best one of the best kill locations I think I've ever found. Uh, we we started so we had lunch down in that bottom of that hub that was mm-hmm. the one that was getting pressured. Yeah, but before before we had lunch, we found one bed in like a micro hub. Yep. That I think that's the first time I heard you say, like, like, that's the king's bed. And he had a couple of different ways he could go. It, it Was that the one underneath the little tree? Yeah, little there, was, tree, there was like this tiny little jut out point. And I think it had two small little like drainages or ditches running on either side. You're right. Yes. Yeah. So. And you was like, this is, this is the king's bed. It didn't look, it didn't set up like a typical bed. And it was just like the small point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was almost down in the bottom, but it, it was like in the lower third elevation of that ridge. Yeah. And it was, I mean, this point was probably 10 yards wide, just a little flat spot. And then there was like some fallen trees and some vines up above mm-hmm. and he just laid right there in that flat. And immediately we found that like, this is, this is the bed. So, so now we're in the hub that is, we're in the, we're in the back of the hub that ended up being really good, but this was the first indicator that, Hey, there's something going on here. So even though there was pressure up a little bit higher, like on that, like even further into the hub, this one point set up perfect. It was wind-based. It was hard to access. It had steep drainages. He had does bedded out in front of him. So mm-hmm. you really couldn't, you couldn't target that deer. And Josh, do you remember what we came up with there as far as that buck's bed and how we were going to target that buck? No, it was, I don't remember what we talked about. Okay, I got, I got you here. This one was really exciting to me because this is something that I do quite a bit and I was, I was excited to show somebody else like you know, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm doing here. But we looked at that bed and we, we tried to formulate a plan and we said, this is a king bed, but it's untargetable for early season. That's right. You didn't we, say that. There's no way to get in here and target this deer. I remember that. Where he is going to get up and walk in daylight there's nowhere that I could be in it with a tree stand on my back, with a saddle on my back, that I could target that deer with those does being bedded where they were at because they're going to blow right past him and it was a bunch of doe beds. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was the direction he was traveling. So, there, he was bulletproof, which in my mind is just, I'm getting more and more excited. Most people say, you can't target that deer. Why are you excited? I'm excited because a deer that beds in a spot like that that's untargetable is going to be a, a mature deer. He's he's been around uh, for a few years and he's located that spot, decided that that's where he wants to lay, and now we just we have to expose some sort of weakness on that deer. Mm-hmm. And which I think we might have later on after we had lunch. And I think we did too. And yeah. I think there's a couple factors there that are going to we'll, So we had lunch. Let's get right into that. We had we had lunch, but we had lunch down in that hub that was all the way back. So the furthest micro hub, the furthest one to the south, this drainage is running to the north. 
And where we had lunch, there was actually a scrape. Yeah, like, you hung a camera on it, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, and it wasn't it <laughs> eating a mountain house. Yeah, <laughs> eating a mountain house. It a- wasn't in the scrape. <laughs> it wasn't an awesome scrape. It wasn't hammered by any means, but it was definitely a scrape that was being used early season. Like it, it didn't have the big twisted branch, but it had enough where you're like, okay, this deer's here quite a bit. But kind of the same thing. It's like untargetable. Like that whole little steep drainage was just kind of a nightmare. So we had lunch and then we worked out just the bottom of that drainage and we followed, there was a couple more scrapes and then we got out into that bottom and that bottom. So now we're probably 350, 400 yards from where that king buck bed was and we get out in that grassy bottom and immediately, I think we all turned and looked at each other and we said, hey, this is, we're, we're onto something here. We have mm-hmm. a lot of diversity in this area. We have a lot of edge. We have a ton of ridges that are dumping down, if I remember right, like four or five different ridges. Lots of ridges. Yeah. And we walked probably 50 yards, and Josh, I'll let you explain what we saw next. Yeah, so we walked 50 yards, and I think I actually saw, because there was a stand further down. I think that's what I picked up on. I was like, hey, there's a stand way over there. And we started walking towards that stand, and we walked up on the mother of all scrapes. I'm not joking when I say Troy Pottinger dreams of these scrapes. It was like the best scrape I had ever seen. Yeah. Like like it had to be the size of like a, a pickup. truck. A, it was a, a pickup truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was and there was multiple. Like yes. it was like three or four different big twisted licking branches. Yeah. And a truck sized scrape. And then 50 yards away, there's another one. And the thing about that spot is that stand looked really old. Yes. Like somebody has killed a lot of deer from that stand at one point in time, <laughs> but I'm hoping they don't hunt the opener back there. The, the trail cam pointed at nothing. But there was there was an old <laughs> dead trail camera pointed in the sky. Yep. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were just like looking at a log on the hillside or something. I don't know what. Yeah. I don't know what that was there for. So there's a little bit of hunter sign, which you typically find in those hubs, but I think that there was enough sign there to completely trump what we saw with hunter sign. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I completely agree. I mean, one of the best scrapes, might, it might be the best scrape that I've ever found. That's while crazy. Out I mean, it was absolutely insane. But the thing that really got me excited about that was how bulletproof the access is yes. in and out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those deer drop down that north facing point. They drop down, they cross a little creek, they hit that little grassy area, they make that big scrape, and then they head up three different oak ridges that all have different oaks on them. We had a lot of reds. We had a ridge that had a lot of whites. Did you guys find a ridge full of pins down there? Was that the pin ridge? Um, I didn't. I found a bunch of chestnuts. I got you. Yeah. So there was chestnuts, chestnuts up top as well. So those deer would come down and hit that scrape, and they weren't traveling down the drainage because there was no ag at the, at the base of this one. Mm-hmm. which actually helped us out. They were coming down and they'd hit the scrape and just go up the ridges. So as yeah. far as access goes, if you have any version of really like a south wind at all, you're just going to go in, wind blowing in your face. They're going to cross in front of you and hit that scrape. Dark hits, you get down and you get out of there and you didn't bust a single deer out of that spot. Yeah. So it's very huntable over and over as long as it takes to kill there. And it, yes, it's a great early season spot, but those hubs that have all those ridges pointing down like that and the, the ones that have a lot of diversity are great rut spots i know yeah. a lot of really good hill country rut hunters that hunt that sort of stuff and they kill a lot of deer mm-hmm. so i think that we can target that spot quite a bit you yeah. know we found sheds down there 
Corey, Corey found, found the three show. sheds down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There Got was that Easter egg, man. Twenty yards from the scrape was the first one, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Corey picked up the first one. It was a nice shot. Oh, he's he's gonna be, get shot next he's year. He's a shooter. <laughs> he is absolutely. He is one hundred percent a shooter box. You know what? I think all the sheds were shooter box. Yeah. <laughs> Not mine. I, I found. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I found about a twenty-five inch shed. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what he amounts to in a couple of years. <laughs> I think we're going to run into some deer that probably surprise us all, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to get into a lot of big eight-pointers yeah. down there. Kentucky's just, I don't know what it is, genetics, food, whatever it is. They have a lot of really good eights yeah. everywhere down there. So, Before we move on from this, this spot, I, I just kind of want to hit on the scrape a little bit more and the licking branches because I feel like this is something that we've seen once we got into some of the other hub scrapes throughout the weekend. Um, one of the things that, you know, Chris and I really started paying attention to over the years was the licking branches. And and you had talked about it too. Um, the licking branches, I mean, they were finger size or larger on that, on that real big scrape and they were all twisted and, and broken down and you could tell that they had been worked. Um, and I, I think I made the comment that that scrape was so big and, and looked just like something you just see on like a YouTube video or here on a podcast yeah. right? we're talking on a podcast, yep. but it's just like, you know, you don't find that in real life. And I, I, I spent a while there looking around, trying to find a camera. I'm like, man, someone had to like, this is a mock scrape. Someone make this. But then you were mentioning the licking branches, how they were, how they were big, but they weren't snapped off. They were twisted. Um, like they got caught in the tines of a buck and they were worked and twisted and hanging down and not just snapped. Um, so I, we noticed some of those common traits in the other hub scrapes as we jumped around. And I just think it's a, just important to note that you should take your time and look at those. Yeah. And there's a lot of things to take away from that too. I mean, when those licking branches were above six feet tall yes they Dude. were they were way up in the air yes. so that tells me that's a big deer yeah. and he's got a pretty tall rack on him and he's pretty aggressive mm-hmm. chris could barely touch him you <laughs> shut your mouth well, we figured the one to be like six foot eight or something crazy it was, yeah it was up there it was definitely up there and the the thing about those licking branches too is you could see all the other little twigs that were snapped off and that were kind of sheared and you could see tine marks and it was there was no doubt that there was big deer making those. Normally, when you find like the hunter ones, like you're right, you're exactly right, Josh. They they'll just break them. Mm-hmm. They're not getting twisted around in circles like that and ripped off. I think a couple of them were actually ripped off. Yeah. So that that told me like everything about that said that there is multiple big mature deer in here. And I think the if you get in a hub that has one good bedding ridge and one good bedding point, you might have a hub scrape down on the bottom. And it, it might not be hammered because there's not a ton of competition in there. But when you get in the hubs, and I've seen this in Ohio, where you have a hub that has a bunch of different like points for different winds for bedding, and there's a bunch of diversity in there, like there's really good thick cover on all these bedding points and in all these all these little nooks and, and bowls, you have a lot more mature deer in those areas. Up to, I've seen five or six mature bucks. I'm talking four, five, six-year-old deer in some of these hubs. And those hub scrapes are insane because of the competition. So those deer are coming down there and they're just working these things year-round, competing to be number one in that system. And I think that's exactly what we found. I think there was so much just high testosterone sign down there because of the 
just the amount of mature bucks in that system. So that's something to take away where it, it made sense. When you look around, you could see the diversity. You could mm-hmm. see the different types of trees and everything else. How, how the ground was beat to hell. Yeah. Um, roots exposed. And uh, I, I found one uh, sapling tree that was just kind of snapped and left to, left for dead, if you will. A lot of traffic, a lot of, lot of licking branch working going on there. And I'm... I'm fairly new to this, but as I've dove into it, it's insane to see in some of these hill country areas where the dirt, it's not like, uh, you know, river bottoms or something where it's super soft. I mean, it's a little rocky and not the greatest and it it was beat to hell. Um, Not a lot of grass growing under that tree. I mean, there was amazing grass everywhere else. Not there. Yep. It looked like you tied a dog up underneath that tree. That yeah. was the that was the first bottom I think that we really found like a wider bottom and, yeah. and all the grass. Like the other ones were more your traditional like deep hill country hubs that you know just kind of are. You wouldn't really say it's like almost a destination. You know, it's just like they're living here. But like that one, it almost felt more like a community destination aspect that agreed. There's mm-hmm. just so much going on, so many micro hubs, so many ridges, you know, like a lot wider of a bottom that you can clearly see they're coming here to communicate and yeah. keep tabs on everything going on in this area. It was a it was the uh town bar. It was the, the it so was. it was the social hub. One hundred percent. And I think that the thing that you need to do in that situation, like we had a bunch of hubs picked out is we need to regroup. And I, I've done this on, on hunting trips, like out-of-state trips where I have a limited time to try to go kill a deer. We had limited time on the scouting trip. So, hey, we have 25 hubs marked down. How about we find the ones that replicate this exact situation the best and let's just go focus on those. And yeah. we kind of, I mean, that was pretty much our plan yeah. through the next day and a half. And I- God, I, it was money. I feel like we had a lot of success. So, yes. let's, let's get right into- we jumped up over that ridge. We went down in the following hub and it was more of a wooded hub. It didn't yeah, necessarily it have, like it did have it super one. thick. It had one grass area, grassy area, but it was like further down. It wasn't necessarily in the hub. It was kind of out of the hub and it had some good sign, but it just didn't have, like there was like one or two good bucks in that one. Um, but we did find some interesting bedding as we crossed that last ridge to go back up to the truck. We found like one of the, it was like a knob that had pines on it mm-hmm. <laughs> and like a weird little pond type yeah. thing. Like it was kind of, but you guys found some good beds up there, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Very good beds. So we, and Jake, you had, you had mentioned this spot, you, you marked it on your map from your e-scout and you were yeah. like, I bet there's a buck bed here. And, uh, we had found a hub, what we thought was a hub scrape down on that bottom. Chris hung a camera on it. Yeah. And then from there, we went right up to that ridge point, um, where where those pines were and you and Corey kind of went down and around and chris and i went like right up right up to the point and it was it was pretty steep but there was a decent trail coming right off that and literally so chris and i worked up up to that um ridge top well it was like a false top there was like a big flat a big bench and then it actually went up on top yeah. but right where that bench was and it was like how wide 30 yards yeah wide. Not, not super wide at yeah. all yeah it was wider than I thought looking on the map and it was just covered up in pines. But as soon as we crested that top, there was a bed, bam, right there. 
right where you had your pen. It, it was super similar to the bed that we found on day two. That was like the money bed of money yeah. beds. Like this is the example right here. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't have the setup that we did there. Yeah. So. so it was really cool to see that bed was right there, right on that point. Had visual advantage, wind advantage, could look down, head down the hill right towards that hub scrape. So. Yeah, he's clearly going into yeah. that script. It's crazy to piece that together. So what was the weakness that that, that deer has? How can you get in there and target that he deer? He can't see you at that scrape. So let's paint the picture real quick. So we have north facing point once again. The drainage runs. It actually runs from the east to the west. And then you have some sub ridges on the other side as well that jut out to the south. So it's just a big long drainage. He's bedded on the north slope of that drainage. Yeah. So how are you going to target that deer? I want the wind to be blowing out of the hub. Um, if I remember correctly, we had water down in there, didn't we? We did at the beginning of it, yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to present a little more of a problem, but um, love accessing those spots with running water because you just put on rubber boots or something and walk through whatever you want, and then it pulls your scent right downstream. Um, I mean, to me, I'm walking down the center of that sucker and, and getting on the... Well, not not the center. I'm going to kind of try to stay offset a little bit so he doesn't cut any of my trail, but uh, I'm going to get on the other side of that scrape and and try to shoot him at the scrape. I might try to cut him off. It just all depends. I kind of like that spot because where that hub scrape was, I mean, we went early season, so there's, you know, very little cover, but it was in, like, it was right in the middle and it was thick. So during season, there's going to be a ton of cover there. So you could go right up the bottom. Yeah. And then set up on that scrape and then catch him coming off the ridge. The In my mind, the wind is a little bit tricky because you would want essentially an east wind, right, coming out of that because it would be going blowing your scent right out of the hub. Um, and where he was bedded was more for southern-based winding. So I don't know if – it's not a very common wind. I don't know if you can get like a southeast and then go up right at the bottom and then sit on the hub and then catch him coming off the ridge. That's In my mind, that's kind of how I would do it. That was exactly what I was thinking is try to go in on a southeast wind. You know, you want you still want enough wind in his advantage for that bed to where he's going to lay there. Mm-hmm. I think there's quite a bit of leeway as far as wind angle goes. Like he's he can shift around enough to make yeah. you know, to to stay there on a, on a quite a few different winds. And then I would do the same thing. I would circle around on that southeast and just try to get set up. So, I think you guys have that one dialed, to be honest. And you have to think early season the other thing that you have going for you is that leaf cover which we didn't have so anything that you can see basically like if you could see that scrape cut that distance in half a lot of times you know based on leaf cover so he's only going to be able to see half that far when the leaves are on which is Mm -hmm. when we're going to be hunting there and that's something that i try to pay attention to as well it's i'm in the bed i want to see how far he can see and i want to set up there because I know that when the leaves are on, I'm definitely good yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And <clears throat> going back to the bed, and I, I had thought about this before. So it was at such a good vantage point for a few different reasons. So it, like we said, it was like a false top. It was like a 30-yard wide bench, bunch of pines there. And then it was pretty steep right up to yeah, the top. Yeah, you're not coming went, over yeah, the backside. There's no way you're coming over. He would he would catch your wind and you're not going to be able to see him because he's going to be covered up by the pines. 
But also, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, because I don't have much experience with this, but the pines can provide thermal cover. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the winter, they're going to bed there because it's warm. In the summer, in early season, when it's hot, they got plenty of shade there, and it's going to be a little cooler. So, that's a place he could bed, you know, year-round and yep. feel safe. So, it could be, you still kind of want that southeast wind, just so your wind's not swirling in that hub, but I feel like in my mind, I would I would picture him being there for the majority of the year and majority of the season because he's going to feel so safe in that location. Yeah, I completely agree. And there's there's a lot of things to take away from that setup where he was at and kind of expose other weaknesses too. Like you brought up the north face thing, how he's on that north face. Those really steep north faces don't have much of a thermal pole because they're shaded all day long, mm-hmm. especially when there's pines up top. So it's even, you know, I don't think that you're going to have the same amount of thermal pull that you would on a on a less steep face because you're going to have more sunlight. And then obviously a south-facing slope is going to have all the sun. So it's going to suck up like crazy. So if you access on the edge of those south-facing slopes, your thermals are actually pulling up that way the whole time and your wind's getting blown out. And then as you circle around, you're going to get into that shaded part of the ridge. And the, when I killed my biggest deer in 2019, I was on a north slope. And everything said by the book and by scouting and by podcasts and everything else that if you set up on that ridge and the buck's above you at noon, that he's going to smell you. But it was a shaded ridge and it was really steep. And so my thermals didn't climb up that ridge like they normally would. So I had a west wind and that west wind gave me that the absence of the strong thermals gave me enough leeway with that west wind to just beat his nose on that kill tree. So those are all things to kind of factor into the equation. So I think that it's more bulletproof than you think. It's just a matter of getting in there and then testing that theory when you have milkweed sure. and it's real time. Yeah. So yeah, going so, back goes back to what Corey said, right? Boots on the ground. Yeah. Important in those locations. 100%. So so that pretty much wrapped up day 1. Day 2 we went back to the hotel, we regrouped and we decided to go hit like we said some more areas that were very similar to the first day. And we got into, basically, we picked this area that had like a bunch of hay fields, right? Had a bunch of hay fields down on the bottom that we thought might be, that it might be a preferred food source early yeah. season before the oaks drop. That's kind of what we were looking at there is, okay, where's the white oaks? What else are they going to feed on before the acorns are really falling heavily? And we decided to access that way and then kind of work into these ridges and the thing about this spot is this set up really well for a westerly wind instead of the south-based wind. So we're really trying to hit hubs for every direction on this trip. Yes. That way, re- when you go down there on an out-of-state trip, you have a system scouted for every wind direction. That way, you don't get stuck mm-hmm. because it would be terrible to go scout a bunch of south, a bunch of hubs that face north that are really good for south winds, and then you get a week of north winds. You're like, wow, well, I don't know how to hunt this on a north wind. Yeah, so we made a point to run cameras and hubs for all different directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but just just for the listener. So earlier we said from a ten thousand foot view, we were picking these hubs based on the predominant winds. But that's a very good point. You still want to scout the other locations so you don't get stuck. Yes. So you want to scout for your other winds, just as you. So you have a plan B, a plan C. That way you can pivot and and you're still in a position. To, to kill a deer. Day two was so much different for me anyways than day one because it seemed like a lot of what we did other than the very beginning when we were trying to feel the place out is we were working our way out of the hubs and now day two 
we got to start at the beginning of the hubs and really, I mean, my mind looked like a fried egg on the ground. I mean, just, just being able to basically follow the sign as you got further and further back into that hub was just so telling. And then when you get to the good betting and where he's got the advantage and boom. You're you're exactly right. And so so we access that first hub from the bottom this time. We're working in towards the hubs now, like you said. So we work up that first drainage off that field and we only made it like less than fifty yards Insane. into that drainage. Scrape. <laughs> and we decided right away we need to run a camera pretty soon. That way when we access this drainage on kill day, we can check that first camera. And say, okay, he's here either in daylight or not in daylight, and we can kill him here, or we can we can continue to press further. And anytime I get in a system where I can walk up the drainage for access, I like to run those cameras like that if it's an area that they're running out the drainage at night. So if they're running to an ag field, it makes it really simple because you run those cameras in stages. And okay, I checked the first one. He's here an hour after dark. I'm going to go halfway and check that camera. He's here 20 minutes after dark. I have to press further. But yeah. if you check that first camera and he's there at daylight, I'm setting up right now. I'm not, sure. I don't have to. I don't have to go in and intrude on the bedding because he's getting to this point in daylight. So that's that's exactly what we did. We worked up. We found, I mean, like a dozen scrapes. Oh, so many on the way to that hub, and got more and more excited. And uh, Chris, I'll let you take over. We get into the hub. What did we see immediately? Uh, we found an amazing scrape in a spot. <sighs> So so we, we've got our running water coming out, which, as I said before, I love. And then we've got a lot of deadfall in that hub as well. And it really kind of limited where he could walk. And you, cut, you pointed it out and you almost, you know where this deer's coming from. You know exactly where he's going to walk. And there, there was a perfect kill spot right by that scrape that he's just, he's going to have a bad day if, if he's big enough. Um, is a heck of a good spot. Had some really good white oaks, you know, not not too, I mean, there were plenty high up, but we had plenty down low there as well. So, uh, I felt like it was a just a hell of a learning experience to walk through that first hub, really. There was, there was a ton of beech trees in that hub. Yeah. Yeah. Which is going to provide you with lots of cover for your access. Yeah. Especially, I mean, we were there late season, so that's as open as it's going to be. So I can only imagine an early season, like it's almost like a wall of cover you have there. And in my mind, I kind of picture it if you're on like private farmland where you have your miscanthus as your wall, and you're just like walking along, like, Oh, I'm just going to work around. The deer aren't going to see me. Still got to be quiet, but <laughs> <laughs> yep, it, it was, it was full of cover. And that was really exciting because up top did not have cover. So no. that, yeah, we'll get into where we found the bed and what he could see and everything in a little bit. But, we put a camera on that scrape, which was the like definite hub scrape. Absolutely. I mean, once again, a, a beautiful scrape. Put the camera there, and then we have to shift and say, okay, what is the weakness? How can we identify a weakness, and how can we come up with a plan of attack? So what we decided, I believe it was Josh, found the trail coming down the hill off the bedding. And we found that trail coming off the hill, and he hit that scrape, and then he had two options from that point. He could either work his way out to that ag field, or he could cross the creek and go up on that white oak ridge. Mm -hmm. He had two options. 
there was a tree, a kill tree that you could sit in to shoot both trails at like 18 to 22 yards. Yeah. And your wind was perfect. So everything said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come in and I'm going to get set up right there and forget checking the camera. Because if you check the, the you're, you're only going to be in there if you check those first couple cameras and you probably have what you want on it because we have so many cameras and so many hubs that one of them is bound to have what we want. Sure. Mm-hmm. So forget checking the camera, go in there and throw a sit at that day one on a West wind. And I think that you are going to be in the game on killing a deer. And yeah. we, we kind of got lucky because it doesn't, ha- it's not very often that I go into three hubs and find three killer setups. Normally it's like in Ohio, I'm like, okay, I checked, I went and scouted 15 hub systems this year and I didn't even add one to my list of top five because it wasn't killer. And we get in these spots and it was just like, wow, I can't, I can't believe <laughs> that these things look this good. Like what's going on? I think it might be, I don't, it might be a density issue. It might be more deer in some of those spots. I'm not quite sure, but it was really awesome to get in there and just be like, yeah, that's, I mean, this is where we're going to sit on this day on a West wind. And if a good buck comes off there, he's getting shot. Yeah. So we, we looked at that area. We said, okay, there's white oaks here on the south facing ridge across the hub that he can drop down, hit the scrape, go up and feed. You go out to the ag field. Let's walk up the trail that leads to where we believe there's south wind bedding and west wind bedding and try to find some beds. And really the only thing that we need at this point is where's the closest bed so we don't over intrude. Like, can we get to the kill tree and get set up and do we have enough cover based on the bedding? And Josh, you, me, and Corey went up that ridge. Chris, you went up higher. Yeah, that's when I, I sat there waiting on you guys for like 30 minutes. I was like, what <laughs> oh, are they we, doing? We got into <laughs> oh, some you, you good found beds. the sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got in some good beds. So Josh, we get up on top of that ridge mm-hmm. and we found some really good beds right away. What were you thinking when you found those beds? What are you trying to dissect at that point? You're, you're talking about those first initial beds when we walked up the trail? Yeah. Um, so when we got to that point, we, we kind of thought it was satellite bedding. So we were looking down towards the hub scrape, trying to determine if, okay, that kill tree that you picked down, that was, um, you know, inter- that, where you could shoot at either of those trails, whether that buck hit the hub scrape and went out towards the ag field or hit the hub scrape and then worked up towards that white oak flat. Um, so if you were working your way to get in that kill tree, we were at those beds trying to look down and determine we were trying to determine, okay, can that satellite deer see your access and see you get in that tree to determine if you could actually, in fact, get in that tree that you determined was your kill tree. That is, that's exactly it. And we determined by looking at that bed, by being in it and actually looking down at our kill tree that we could pull that off, right? Mm-hmm. Like we decided yeah. we, it, it's close, but when we get the leaves in September, we can get in here and we can, we can target that bed and not bump those deer. And we've got the wind advantage. There's a little stream down there. Hopefully you have a little bit of wind and some leaves blowing around that day and you can just access right up into there. So we found those beds, those satellite beds, and then we pushed a little bit further on top of that ridge to that one point that jutted out. Mm -hmm. And we found, Corey, I'll let you explain it, really the second king buck bed of the day, of, of the trip. And it was perched right out on that north slope. Yeah, I mean, this this one was really interesting because he, the first thing that I think we noticed is this this bed was a lot higher up than some of the ones we had been been finding. And he kind of was in the back left corner of this hub and really had a strong, strong visual advantage of everything going on down there. Um, I mean, 
you talked about like if you put 360 degrees on it, he could see pretty much everything outside of about a 10 degree window. And that 10 degree window was basically the access route that we had to take to get to his exit route of his bed. And that gave us that little window of opportunity that we know we could come in here, set up, be quiet, and have a really good crack at him coming down that trail and us getting to shoot him without him ever having any idea that we came remotely back into that area. Yeah, you nailed it. And it's it was really exciting because you get up there in that bed and you're like, this deer thinks that he's safe. Like he thinks that he can see every single ridge. He can see all the flats. He can smell everything he needs to smell. He can observe all the satellite deer. And like you said, the 10% that he can't see is exactly what we exposed and that's how we're going to kill him. So uh, that bed, it, it had everything that it needed. I mean, it checked off all the boxes. So in my opinion, that was number three where it's like, yeah, we can we can get in here and definitely target this deer. And so now we have a couple spots. We ended up deciding that we were going to work over the backside of that bed into another ridge system that set up as a different facing hub. Mm-hmm. You know, we had that one and then we had one more to check on the way out. So we start circling around to the top of that ridge and we found some really good sign, Corey, right on like above that hog's back. There was some really good sign yep. up there. So we just put up another camera. We, we threw one camera up and said, okay, like this is going to be more of like a rut camera or seeing him access different acorns when the acorns start to drop just to kind of observe what's happening up there. You know, maybe you could throw a morning sit at that and see if he circles back around, but I think that he's going to be coming in through the bottom. So threw a camera up there to kind of observe that deer. And then we worked down the next ridge system. And one thing to highlight here that we all caught on to, I think we all mentioned it at one point was as we're walking the spine of these ridges, because that's really the easiest way to travel. Mm-hmm. None of us would probably ever hunt up there. Like it didn't make sense to target a deer up there. But I think that we found 95% of the tree stands on the ridge spines, like yeah. directly on yeah. top of the ridges. And really in no correlation to bedding or anything, they were just, I mean, to me, it kind of seemed like they were placing like saddles, right? Yeah. Like the saddle was With was a side advantage. Yeah, it was the saddle thing was a, was a big thing. And there was, there was a ton of them. There was a bunch of different ladder stands. So yeah. we decided once again, like, hey, the deer probably aren't traveling up here very often. We kind of knew that. Like that's, that's a pretty typical thing. You either find stands low or high. It seems like the areas of the country that I go to, that kind of changes. Like when we were out in Illinois, it was most of the sign out there scouting, the hunter sign was down low. And so we get in Kentucky, most of the signs high, but it, you have to access it the same way. So it's just like different thought process or something going on. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. But we found a bunch of stands up top. We run that ridge. We get down to the next system. This next system was another very diverse system. Yes. It had a lot of grassy fields. It had a lot of different ridges that jutted out all over the place and almost like three different major hubs before we even got into the micro hubs. Yep. Chris, you put a camera out right off the bat. I'll let you dive into that. Yeah. So we were, wow, that was, that was a really cool one. So we were probably 200 yards into the hub or so maybe. And we walked up and I want to say it was an autumn olive tree maybe. And um, there was actually a super fresh set of tracks in the script, or uh, it had been pawed or something, yeah. Yeah. hadn't yep. it? Um, very, very fresh, like uh, uh, granules of dirt and, and all that. 
Um, so we hung a cam there. Pretty sure that was our other spot where we had lunch or like a breakfast break or something. And um, we kind of started to work up into the hub more and we found another spot where we had another good scrape, but also a really good signpost rub. So we threw another camera up. And then I'll let you kind of dive back into where we went from there because we found probably the best learning experience as far as a hub scrape and a bed. Yeah. B- before we get there, though, you had mentioned something, Jake, about the system ah. um, while we were down there. The, the, the subsystem was, was so long and there were so many different ridge points that kind of dumped down into it that you had made the point that because of that and how it's set up, there could have been multiple mature bucks using it, which is probably why we found these different scrapes along the hub system. Yeah. I know, Chris, you said you weren't. You had told me you weren't as excited about <laughs> yeah. where you placed the cameras. They just and I, didn't look like what we had found. They didn't, but I was excited for them just because I kind of had the thought that you did, Jake, that it could hold so many different mature bucks because of how long it was. In that first spot that we hung, the camera had really good access. Very God, you could my favorite access. You could technically get to it via water access, yeah. and then. With all, I mean, again, we were there late season and there was autumn olive. Mm-hmm. It was, it was thick, grassy in there. And that's some of the places where I'm finding some, some larger deer, not, not as hilly, kind of like rolling hills, but really thick. So I was excited about that. Now that wasn't a big, big scrape, but to me, you had really good access and cover where I felt like it could hold a good deer. And and, and then we gradually worked back and we got to that other, um, that other scrape that set up, that looked kind of more like some of the other hub scrapes that we had found with that signpost rub. Um, and that was another spot where I felt like you could access really good. Like if you, um, like we were talking about earlier, if you set up a camera at that first scrape and then see a deer on it, let's say it's not during the daytime, it's during at night. And it's like, okay, let's go move to that next scrape. Check that camera, see if you, they're hitting that in daylight and then set up on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we had running water. I love running water. You, we, I'll, I'll hunt that every time. We did have running water, and I liked that a lot because, like you said, it would it would actually blow your scent out exactly how we needed it to because the prevailing wind for the way we would hunt that would blow that direction. So, Josh, to circle back real quick on that first scrape that you said you really liked because of the opportunity of having so many different mature deer in there, the one thing I want to touch on, Chris, the first day when we found that scrape that was just absolutely hammered. Yes. You know, the one that was the size of a truck. The reason that I think that there's so much sign just congregated right there in that one area is because the ridges are determining the route of travel there and they all meet in that one central location. So you have all those bedding points that meet in one central location. The thing about this next spot is you have honestly probably more bedding points but they're more broadcasted across that mile long drainage. Yeah. And you still have very defined hubs that these deer are going to come into and hit their scrapes, which is where we found the scrapes. So I I think that you might actually have the opportunity to have more mature bucks in that second spot. And the thing that it gives you is it gives you the ability to stage hunt that area. So shifting that mindset a little bit of, okay, the, the sign's not as good in this one location, but if I take all of that sign and pull it together, 
it actually is probably more than the first really good spot that we found. And I have the ability to be able to access here and stage hunt this area. Define stage hunt for me. So that first hub that you get to, okay. day one, hunt that spot. Day, uh, uh, okay. Day two, go okay. into the next spot. Day three, go back to the, the king hub. Yeah. And you can stage hunt it like that. And it all depends on how these ridges set up. And that's there's no cookie cutter answer to any of this stuff. But sure. These deer here aren't coming down and traveling down the drainage very far. They're going up to the oak ridges. So if you think about it, that deer is going to... So they're crossing. Yes. So instead of going down the drainage, they're coming down into that one hub and crossing up to the south-facing slope. So the route of travel is very defined in each one of those. So if you target it with that in mind, okay, day one, route. I'm going to cut off that route of travel. They're going that way. I back out. I didn't see what I wanted. Day two, I'm going to go into the next one. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to have that route of travel come you know across that drainage and then day three to do the same thing i think that there's a lot of opportunity there and if i had a three-day stretch where i was going to be able to hunt i'd probably want to hunt something like that one day after the other as opposed to sit that first really good one three days in a row right you know where you're leaving your scent profile and everything else so it's all about how you look at it right and i think that it definitely offers a lot of opportunity that puts it it into a perspective for me a lot um the, talking about how they're crossing rather than coming out, which makes sense. I mean, you can only go out so far, right? Before you got to swim. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so now change that water to a cornfield, and now right. you have a, now you have to hunt that system totally different. And that's yeah. why all of these take that fine tuned approach, and you have to really get in there and boots on the ground and dive into them because there's so many different circumstances. A piece of land can look the same, but all those little factors determine exactly how those deer are using that system. It's just our job to figure that out and try to yeah. kill that deer. Man. Well, now I'm excited. Yeah. So <laughs> Chris likes to do this thing where I say like, oh, like this looks good because of this. And he doesn't listen to me. And then he hears it from someone else. And he's like, you know what? That is really good. <laughs> well, you didn't put you didn't put the detail into it though that Jake did. I didn't put it in Jake Bush terms. No, no. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I'm uh, glad I could do that. <laughs> I, I do have a habit of that. So you guys got cameras on those first two on those first two scrapes. Yep. And I'm really excited about personally kayaking in there and checking your cameras on the way to my <laughs> kill spot. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm marching however many yards it was. What, what, what was it, like a mile? Marching a mile back in there right to what we're about to talk about. Because yeah. that was literally the best. If, if you ever wanted, you know, I've... I've got to scout with you a little bit and we found some things, but didn't really find the definitive like start to finish, you know, from the, the beginning of the hub, the hub scrape, the the bed, everything. And uh, what you're about to talk about is just the bee's knees. So I'll let you dive into it. We, we continue to work into that drainage further and you guys put out that second camera and there was sign pretty much the whole way up through that drainage. Yeah. Now at a certain point, that drainage shifted from cross travel to actually downward travel out of that drainage. So those deer, like let's say these deer bedded up in the hub all the way at the end of it. The last buck in there is dumping down into that hub, traveling the drainage, and then skipping up the ridge. Yep. Where all the other deer coming out of those hubs were just crossing that drainage really fast. So this one had a different route of travel and it would take a little bit of a different approach. 
So we get into the back of that hub and we started to find some good sign again, but we looked up on all the ridges and it's wide open. Yeah. And I remember, I believe I told Corey like, hey, this is, this is wide. Like, I don't, I don't know about this. It's wide open. I found deer in these areas before that bed like that, but they're normally really, really hard to target. And a lot of times I won't even target them. So we find a bunch of sign and then we decide, let's go up on the north facing slope here for a south wind. And we get up on that and immediately we're like on the side of the ridge, like on the steep part, Corey spots this giant, I mean, giant signpost rub, probably Mm -hmm. the biggest rub that we saw the entire trip, like size of your thigh. And we decided that we needed to stop and evaluate and not just run out of this drainage, figure out what's going on here. And once again, it's one of those things where you kind of think you got it all figured out in your head. You might get a little cocky and say, hey, there's nothing here. We need to move on. And then you get humbled really quick. The hills have a way of doing that to you. Oh, dude. And so, so we all took a step back and said, okay, let's figure this out. So we start looking at that signpost rub and we determined that there was two different trails that met there. There was a trail that wrapped around on one elevation through that hub. And then there was a trail that came directly off the spine of that ridge. And they intersected right there at that signpost rub, which I thought was kind of odd, to be honest with you. Like, what is, what's happening here? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense yet. And we continued to work our way up that ridge. And I don't think that we were sold on it at this point. We weren't sold on that signpost rub because it was one in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it could be a rub thing just where trails are intersecting. But we work our way up that ridge and we get to the first flat spot in the wide open now, to paint the picture here, you have a north-facing point, and it has like it almost looks like stairs where you have the top of the ridge. It dumps down about 50 feet in elevation. It flattens out for about 100 yards, and then it dumps again, and it kind of did that same thing like twice, and then it dropped off down into the bottom. Mm-hmm. So, where that second step would be, the one that's like on the military crest, like this is a typical military crest bedded deer. There was a beautiful buck bed that is used a lot right there. And there was actually three different beds where we think he's shifting around based on the exact wind for that spot. So we get up there and we look at that bed and we're like, we we definitely have to figure out how to target this deer. And the thing that I think I've gotten better with over the years is trying to figure out how to kill that untargetable buck. But I think like as a team, we looked at it and we said, okay, let's leave two guys up here. Let's have two guys go back down. Let's see how far this deer can see. And let's see how close we can actually get to him if we come up through the drainage. So Josh and Chris, you guys stayed up in the bed and Corey and I dove down back into the bottom all the way down that hill again. And we got down there and we worked as a team. And this is a a really cool tactic. Like this is the first time that I've ever used this tactic with somebody else where we had you guys up in the bed and we were like, hey, wave your arms, stand up, like do a backflip, Chris. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we just kept moving back until we couldn't see you. And then we just backtracked back into the main drainage around that subridge to where we could access in, stay low, and then pop up in a double tree on the backside, get like a stick or two high, and we could kill that deer as he comes down the ridge and he would never have any idea that we were there. Yep. And we accomplished all that. So we... We figured out a way as a team to get within 100 yards of a buck bedded on a point right on the edge of a military crest where he can see the entire hub system except for one spot. And as a team, we figured out how to go in there and kill that deer. And I think that that's, I don't think that that would even be possible with one guy, to be honest with you. I agree. No. And what was, so it was that, that signpost rub 
was on a pine tree. Yeah. And from from that bed, he could it wasn't far, like 40, 50 yards or so. Yeah. Not far at all. And he had a clear visual to that tree. But because of his elevation compared to the pine tree, you could actually use the cover of the pine as for, for part of your access. So actually what he was potentially looking at and paying attention to was also a weak point, which I thought was pretty dang cool. That is that is very cool. I never even considered that, but you're right. That was a big source of cover up there. And I mean, when you're on a ridge system and the only source of cover is like one pine tree, it's going to be pretty hard to target <laughs> yeah. that deer. But yeah. somehow I think that we figured out a way. So I'm, I think that that's going to be a challenging deer. I think he's an old buck and he's been in there for a long time. And he's just determined that, hey, I'm untouchable here because if anybody drops down this ridge, the whole spine of that bull at any point in time, I got him immediately. I can smell anybody come up from behind me and anybody coming up that drainage I can see. So if we can get in there, open in day on the right wind and kill that deer and just like expose that little weakness and kill him, that would be, that would be an awesome job. I mean, that would be just a blast of a hunt. So that was, that was a really good bet. I like that a lot. Uh, we decided to work up the ridge after that bed and Josh, you found a slammer shed on the backside of that ridge. Yeah. Corey had to leave us. Unfortunately, he thank, couldn't. Thank God. <laughs> we were still go- getting after it. <laughs> Just one more climb, Chris. Just one or four more. Yeah. Unfortunately, Corey, you had, you missed out on the shed. Yeah. But we, we, we crested the ridge and we got on, um, we found some other feed sign before that. And I mean, we kind of scanned the area. It looked like they were feeding on beech nuts. I mean, the ground was tore up. We're like, oh, we got to find a shed here. We never found a shed. And it was, uh, correct my memory here, but it, there was kind of a little saddle there. And in my mind, it kind of looked like a pretty good, like, rut funnel spot in in my mind. But as you went down kind of this ridge, it there was it flattened out into a bench system. And we started finding rubs along this bench and then we get to we see a scrape along the bench and we get a little further and we see another scrape and i think i think you hung a camera on that scrape because then it had some some of the similar things we were seeing in those other hub scrapes had the branches kind of twisted off they were kind of up high it's on a beech tree um and i believe you just wanted to put a camera there just just to see if that buck that where we were in that bed that was above that pine tree, if perhaps maybe occasionally he would come back over the backside of the ridge and use that bench system on the backside. To feed on those oaks. Yeah, to feed yeah. on the oaks. So it was just kind of another way for us to keep track of that deer. Um, but we followed the sign along the bench, and then that's when we found the shed. Um, you were actually looking down the hill under a pine to look for a bed, and I happened to look ahead. And I I hadn't found a, a shed during the trip, so I got really excited. I'm like, shed! <laughs> it was a it was a beautiful shed, chocolate yeah. rack. Yeah, it was the it biggest was, one of the trip, wasn't it? Yep, yeah, biggest one of the trip, and it was different than all the other ones. It was like you said, Jake. It was it was just a chocolate rack, which we discussed. You know, why is this antler different than the other antlers we're finding? And along that bench, there were different pines. And and we were like, oh, maybe he's this is his main area he's hanging out amongst all these pines. And then later on, I feel like you had a good thought, Jake, uh, that the shed we found could have potentially been the buck that was rubbing on that pine tree because of how dark the antlers were. 
Like he had to be rubbing on something dark for his antlers to be like that. At least, at least kind of what I thought and what you thought. So I think that was a really good observation. I think it could be the deer. I think yeah. that might be the king buck that's laying in that bed, to be honest with you. And he's a target. I mean, he's, <laughs> we're going to try to kill that deer. So this, this was essentially just like the next system over. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just basically the backside. And that's how I killed my buck uh, two years ago in Ohio was I scouted a main hub that set up really good for a south wind or a southwest wind. But on the backside of that system, there was a hub that set up really good for like a northeast wind. And I just knew any day that you would get the wind shift, there was enough beds on that backside where that buck would actually shift over. And it would completely change his travel route. It would completely change what that buck did every night. And he would go to a different field. So based on his bedding, based on the wind, is what field he would feed in that night. So on a northeast, he would feed on the field that was to the south. So I just made this big J-hook in to kill him. I think we can do the same thing there. And right by that scraper we put the camera, if I remember right, there was like a probably a 50-yard by 50-yard like section of just deadfall remember mm-hmm. there was a bunch of fallen trees and there was some green briar yep. and i think that that could be his bedding area it's not much but it's more than he has on the other side it's true chris struggled yeah. to get over that tree i remember yeah. that was one of the yeah, twice was, <laughs> we we had to circumnavigate your camera during turkey season the day you guys went back to the private to hunt the tame oh, and yeah. turkeys it's still there <laughs> it's still there cool. it's still there yeah. thank god you check it you got any no, deer on no. there no i didn't check it i didn't do that i was like let's just <laughs> go way around this i don't want to seem like a sketchy individual but no, you should it was funny it, thumbs up. it was <laughs> it was funny though because we got into that area and we knew we were kind of getting close but all of a sudden we were like uh, deja vu. We're yeah. we're somewhere close that we've been before, and sure enough, there's the camera right in front of our face. So yeah, what a what a hell of a trip. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of like the final icing, if you will, on top of the cake. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was really good to get the whole time. We were hoping that we would get validation of kind of the size of the deer in that area, and that shed for me told me everything I need to know. It's great. Uh, a deer with a big track here could have a really big rack. So yeah. mm-hmm. we found one more potential hub to target after that. We did. So we, we had lunch and we were on the way out. We decided we actually d- we decided we were done. And then we decided let's have lunch and go to one more hub. Like, yeah. why, why stop now? Right. We, we just might as well keep going. So mm-hmm. Jake ran us into the ground. was like, Jake- Oh, we're done guys. And then he's like, Oh, you know what? Let's do another four miles. And <laughs> just, just one more ridge. I want to so- be clear. Jake and Josh, had lunch. I ate what the mice left me. <laughs> you did have the to. mice got into my food in my truck, and oh. I didn't have a lot to eat. Stuart Little took Stuart a bite Little. out of his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> did remember oh, his peanut butter and jelly from the day before? He <laughs> sat on it. I was so pissed, man. I didn't have good luck with the peanut butter sandwiches. So he, had, he had no no nutrition in two days at all. <laughs> I had. I had these little Me- slim jumps, we did man. 20 miles. <laughs> yeah. Chris is living off some rat-eating peanut butter and jelly. 20.5 to be exact. So I'll cut you some slack on the tree hopping. <laughs> I know you were, uh, you were starved a little bit. But uh, so, yeah, so we, we had lunch. We hop up over that next ridge and found some good feeding sign again. Yes. Uh, found some good feeding sign and we start working down on that ridge. And this is another really cool hub because... I find myself doing this a lot, but anytime that there's like a corner of the property that is a hub and then you have private nearby, seems like it's a pretty good spot because access is so limited. 
it just like for some reason i find a lot of big deer in those spots it's like they know that everybody's like a lot of people aren't using these mapping services still and they might have an old map or they're just going by the trees being painted and they don't feel comfortable being you know sub 200 yards from a boundary and so this hub sets up within that range but we can hunt the area like we can hunt that deer coming to this hub so if you remember we got down the hub and there wasn't necessarily a hub scrape there was like a little bit of sign and there was some sign heading out of that drainage but what really got me excited was there's one single bedding point that had sign on it and there was really like one trail coming off that and he made a scrape before he crossed the creek and so it didn't have your typical hub scrape because there's not a bunch of bedding points but that Mm -hmm. one point Definitely has a buck coming off it. If I remember right, we found a big track in there. Yeah. yeah. And there was some good rubs and there was that scrape. And the way he comes down and the way the next subridge juts out, like he's on, there's two subridges that jut out. He's on the one that is further into the hub. So when we're accessing, we're actually protected from his site by that other subridge. And all we have to do is like just get down in the creek and hop up. And set up right there we can kill him circling around that subridge to head out that drainage to go to whatever food source he has down there so that was another just like overlooked spot there was no hunter sign in there it was in the corner of the property and i feel really confident that on the right day we can go in there and kill a deer first set that's mm-hmm. the one you talked about sitting on the ground wasn't it yeah i mean it's there was actually a really good setup for just sitting on the ground now the thing about that spot for me is that's that's a one and done sit like we go in there, say that we determine opening day is the right wind to go in there and we don't have the right wind anywhere else. We go in there. I don't, I'm not even checking that camera, to be honest with you. I'm going to go get set up either on the ground or one stick high in that one tree that was right there. And I'm going to shoot that deer coming to the scrape. If he comes down, he's, he's got a good rack on his head. And if not, you know what? Let's let that camera soak. We'll write it off for this year. We'll check the camera in the fall to see what it did during the rut or later in October or anything else. Let's just go to one of our other spots you know that's that the the key to this scouting trip was finding multiple areas with multiple different winds like we've touched on already just so we have those backup plans i think that's very important but but yeah that was a really good way to to top off the trip was one more camera set so all in all i think we have 15 ish cameras out yeah we have a lot of cameras out down there we have a plan to i personally would like to go check them before season and like let's say two weeks out or three weeks out of season i think that we should run down there and check those cams just spend one day dive into every one of them pull the card replace the card turn the camera back on get out and go take that data and just analyze it see what we can come up with and then have our plan of attack for the openers i think we have more than enough hubs to target and kill quite a few deer to be honest with you i agree yep definitely a a very efficient way to do it yeah. The most efficient, in my opinion. It doesn't get a whole lot more efficient than this. Yeah, especially in like hill country. Like it was what I took away from the weekend as I was kind of like self-reflecting is how we did things. We essentially made a map for ourselves in hill country, especially if you were keeping notes and keeping track on your mapping systems where you could look at it and just be like, okay, on this wind, I need to be here. And this is what the data tells me on this one. I need to be here. This is what the data tells me. You can you can pivot really quick and just be really efficient with with everything you're doing, especially if you're going in and checking cards and then seeing what deer are using what areas. 
you can't you can't get much more efficient than that in hill country. What's funny to me is you're down in the flat part. The major I mean, don't get me wrong, when you're scouting, not on the flat thing. Mm-hmm. But hunting it's actually kind of easier. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out though. Yeah, I mean, for me it was definitely a success. We had a good time. We learned a lot from each other and I think we came up with the plan of attack we need. So, I feel really confident going into the season and I agree with you Josh. I don't think there's any way to be more efficient on an out-of-state trip when you have limited time to scout besides going in, having a hyper-focus on a specific terrain that's worked for you somewhere else that you can just replicate, going in, laying the cameras down, getting out, checking them one time, and then what we can do after this year is we can take all that annual data that we have and we can just start building that year after year. And I have a feeling that about year five, we're going to be really good down there. So I I don't know of a more efficient way, but... uh. But yeah, guys, thanks for going down there and inviting us. It was an awesome trip. I think that we're going to make a lot of memories down there. Oh, yeah. Chris, thanks for hosting us tonight. And yes, sir. All you guys meeting up. I know it's been a couple weeks since we were down there, but I really appreciate everybody meeting up. Uh, Chris and Josh, where can people find out more about you? Well, we have like 74 platforms. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have Fueled by the Outdoors uh, Facebook group business page, YouTube, podcast, and then we have the Mobile Hunters Expo that we run as well. Um, we've got a website, themobilehuntersexpo.com, and then, um, of course, a Facebook business page, Instagram, all that stuff. So come on out to the show and check out some Latitude Carbon Sticks this summer. Yeah, baby. Be pretty slick. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Corey, where can people find out more about you? Um, all our stuff's going to be on the Latitude channel. So yeah. everything uh, everything we filmed this past fall, um, we got a lot coming in like down the pipeline kind of as we're, as we're speaking. Um, this summer, we're going to be dropping uh, the new Latitude web series called The Grit, and that we're uh, real excited for. It's going to be uh, hopefully something a little different than everything that's out there. And then uh, <clears throat> a lot more of these scouting videos that Jake and Derek have been doing a heck of a job of getting together. Uh, so... Some educational stuff uh, coming to the YouTube, some entertainment stuff coming to the YouTube, and then uh, anything else we're going to be doing this summer, shooting bows or, or whatever else we can get to, you know, that will be, uh, be on a few channels around there. Yep. Latitude is also sponsoring film festival Yep, at yep. the Mobile Hunters Expo. So the uh, Michigan show, the second Mobile Hunters Expo this summer, we will have the Latitude Film Festival on Saturday. And that we're real excited for. You know, if if you film your hunts or if you're just getting into it or or whatever, um, head over to Latitude's website. Um, we'll, we have a film festival page going up there to give you the details. It'll break down like you know how how the uh, films are being scored, uh, the prizes. There's some serious prize packages like getting put together, and Chris just keeps up in the ante every day. So. Um, going to be a lot to win there and we're, we're just real excited for the film festival. I think it's going to be really neat. It's going to have a neat theme and, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. It is definitely going to be fun. And Hey, if you guys enjoyed this podcast today, the in session web series is going to be on the latitude YouTube. It'll drop the same day as this podcast. So it's going to have some really good visuals of what we've talked about today. It's going to have some funny moments. It's going to have a lot of really (laughs) good maps that are going to be full of detail for learning and I hope it's a really good learning tool for anybody that's looking to 
up their game in hill country a little bit. So that'll be on the Latitude Outdoor YouTube page. And that's a wrap for today's show. I'd really appreciate it if you guys could head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. Thanks again. See you next time.